Well, good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Uh, my name is Greg, if you are new to the church. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to uh, just bring the word today. We are in this series called Asking for a Friend, and so we've been asking uh, some questions that are commonly asked uh, that people may be afraid to ask for whatever reason, and so we're going to be uh, doing one more uh, message today. Um, I, w- I want to start by asking, have you ever been so certain about anything in life. Have you ever been so sure? I asked my wife Monica if it would be okay if I share this this morning. She said it should be fine. Uh, but before I met Monica, there was actually another girl that I was so sure I was going to marry. Like I was so sure uh, that, that this other girl was the one for me. And uh, it got to the point where we would have like this co- the same conversation every day. And I, I know it sounds a little insecure, but I would ask her every day, who are you going to marry? And she would assure me and affirm you. I'm going to marry you. And then she would ask back, who are you going to marry? And I would assure her, you. You're the one for me. And we would have this dialogue every day, every day. And you know you're in love when you do things for people that you don't naturally do, right? Like, so for me, I'm not an artist by any means, but I love this girl so much that I would uh, create pieces of art to express my love for her. That's how much I loved her, if you could get me to do that. Uh, I I did, and um, I was so sure she was the one until the day she left me for another guy. And I knew this guy. His name was Casey. And it broke my heart. Like, I was so sure she was the one. I mean, sure, I was only in kindergarten, but still, like, I, I, like, I knew she was the one I was going to marry. Like, I, I could have sworn, and then, then I go through life, and all of a sudden, I'm not so sure about anything anymore, right? Isn't that true, that as we grow up, we start to stress out more, we get more anxious? Why? Because life becomes more uncertain. When we were kids, we never stressed out. And I believe that uncertainty is the root of all kinds of anxiety, It's why we stay up at night, why we got 10,000 possibilities, 10,000 scenarios running through our minds, and we don't know which of those 10,000 paths I should take. And so we stay up because of that uncertainty. And so we go through life, and now we turn to various means to try to figure out what does my life look like? What's going to happen? So we get to junior high, right? How many of you guys remember this in junior high? How many of you guys remember playing this game? Anybody? 80s, 90s kids, MASH, right? This is supposed to tell you if you're going to live in a mansion, an apartment, a shack, or a house. And then you determine, and and girls go do this, and girls be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to live in a mansion with Johnny Depp in Paris and drive a Pinto, like, like, right? And, and man, these things, I'm telling you, they nail it every time, right? Like, these are so precise, not, right? And so we go through life looking for other various means, and by, by the time we get to high school or, or um, adulthood, we, we start looking to these things, right? And we're hoping that, you know, that, that maybe there's, there's a hint of truth in what it tells us, that maybe there's something in it that's true. Then we're devastated when we find out what, what it says that that wasn't chicken, right? <laughs> right? And then we go, okay, there's got to be another one. We open another one, and then we find out it is true what it says, that, that it can't ever help you. It's just a cookie. It's just a cookie. Now, I know none of us would fully put our trust in any of these means, but, but at some point in our life, we come to know God. 
And how many of us trust God because God is all-knowing and he knows, he knows everything about my life. And yet, why is it that, that it's so hard still to know what my life is supposed to look like? Why is it so hard to find God's will for my life? Well, you are in luck today, praise God, that you came to church because I am going to answer the question, how do I find God's will for my life? And actually, I'm going to reveal to you today how you can find God's will for your life. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to help you know the next decision to make in your life. Okay, so stay with me. We're, we're going to explore what God has to say about his plans for you. Would you guys join me? And let's open up in a word of prayer. God, I, I really do mean that. Thank you for bringing every one of us to church today. God, I believe we'll look back and see that this was your sovereign plan that we should be here. That it's no accident. And, and I know that there may be some friends or guests who are here for the first time and church is just new to them. And I pray that you would bless them. Bless each one of us, Lord. Show us how good it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And so, Lord, we want to give you our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would speak truth, open up our understanding, do what only you can do. Help us to understand the words of Scripture, Lord. And God, this morning I pray that nothing I say would be remembered or successful or, or even shared unless there's truth to what's being said because it's breathed by your spirit coming straight from your word. And so that's what we ask for this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. amen. So first of all, in order to talk about God's will, we have to understand what will means. What does that word mean? So I want to put up a definition for you. Uh, the, the Greek New Testament has this word thelema in the Greek, and that's what's translated will, uh, but li literally it means desire or preferred will. So God's thelema is God's will for you. It's his desire for you. And when we look at the scriptures, there's actually two theological aspects of God's will that I want to share with you this morning. We can talk about God's sovereign will or God's revealed will. And both of these are, are, are addressed in the scriptures. Now, let me break it down for you. God's sovereign will is pointing to the fact that God is all sovereign, meaning he reigns over all the universe, over all the earth. That means he will do whatever he pleases. That means because he is sovereign, all things will come to pass according to his desires. He ordains things to happen, or because he's sovereign, he allows things to happen. But the bottom line is, it's all in his control. That's the sovereign will of God. And sometimes we call the sovereign will of God the hidden will of God. It's hidden in the sense that to us, we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know what God wants to do in our lives. It's hidden to us until the point it actually happens. And at that point, we could then look back and say, oh, that was God's will. Like, for example, the fact that Amanda left me in kindergarten, like, at the time that blindsided me, I got hit, like, I was totally blindsided. But now that I look back, I could say that was God's sovereign will, that she should go with Casey, or that, that, that I should go a separate way, which left me available for Monica. And she would tell you that is God's perfect will, right? <laughs> right? So we look back, and that's God's sovereign will. Hidden to us until it comes to pass. Now, there's God's revealed will, and that's what it is. It's revealed. It's not hidden to us. 
In fact, it's very plain. Where is it made known? Right here in his revealed word. And so these are the desires of God's heart that he wants us to do or not to do. So he'll tell us, yes, love the Lord your God. Yes, love people. No, do not murder. Do not steal. And so he reveals to us desires of his heart, of his heart through his revealed word. So why do I make this distinction for you? Why, why make this distinction? Because I believe when we understand this, it could help relieve a whole lot of stress and anxiety in our life. Let me turn you to a passage. This may be one of the most stress-relieving passages in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. You should probably memorize this. It's going to help you. It says this. The secret things belong to who? The Lord. To who? The Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Now, everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. Isn't that a sigh of relief? Like, because what is this saying? It's saying that there are secret things that belong to not you, but to God. So what it's doing is acknowledging for us that there are things that you will not know, things that you cannot know, and that's okay. Don't own that. That's not yours. That's God's. So go ahead, everybody, raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I hereby resign (laughs) trying to be God. Oh, thank God. Let him be God. Amen? Yeah, let him be God. Now you have things that belong to you. The revealed things belong to us and to our kids after us, generations after us. Where are those revealed things? Well, they are the words of this law. So can I save you a whole lot of stress and anxiety in life trying to figure out the things that are uncertain, things that we can't know anyways? Instead of focusing on the things that are hidden, trying to figure out the things that are unknown, how about we focus on the things that are revealed? How about we keep our eyes fixed on the things that he has made plain to us? And so here for the rest of today's message, I want to show you the thelema, the, the desire, the, the will of God. And so what I did all week, I, I did the work. I, I went through all the passages that talk about the thelema, the will of God. And I believe that when we take the collection of these verses, we can know his revealed word I want to put it together for you. It could be summarized and even simplified in this acronym, and it's the acronym DESIRE, right? Because that's the the, the thelema of God, the desire of God. So let me show you what the scriptures say. First of all, God's desire is that we would be delivered from sin. God's desire is that we would be delivered from sin. Where do we get that? How, how do we know that's true? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, circle that word desires, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That word you circled, desire, that's the word thelema. So God's desire, first and foremost, let's start here. Like his greatest desire is that you would be delivered from your sin. That you would be saved. 
saved from your sin and the consequences and the eternal punishment that comes with that and saved into an, an eternal relationship with him. God's desire for every one of you is that you would be delivered and saved. Now, if you are uh, here at the church this morning and church has never been your thing and you would be able to say with confidence that I'm not a Christian yet, um, I don't know Jesus, and you haven't put your faith in him, First of all, I want to say welcome. Welcome to church this morning. I'm so glad you are here. Secondly, I would say I pray that you know God's deep desire for you. That you would know that God your whole life has been pursuing you. That, that might be hidden to you. you. You might not see that or feel that. But he has been pursuing you. He loves you. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth to die for your sins so that you'd be forgiven. That's why Christ rose from the grave so that you would have life. That whoever believes in him will not perish and suffer punishment for the sin, but you would have life and life eternal. And as I say that, I realize that some of us might be thinking, and that's exactly why I don't want to follow God. So you're telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, that I will suffer punishment, that essentially I go to this place you call hell? That's why I don't want to love this God of yours, because why would God send anybody to hell? And I, I want to respond to that and say, that's, that's exactly what this is about. God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. That's not God's agenda. He wants to save people from hell. The Bible tells us that one day God will come and deal justly with sin. He will bring judgment, but he hasn't done it yet. And people are like, why haven't you done it yet, God? This, God, this world is so evil. And here's what 2 Peter 3.9 says. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why hasn't God just done away with all the evil in the world? Because he wants us to be delivered from sin. So he's like, it's almost like he's buying time. He's bearing with us, being patient so that we would repent, that we would have a chance to turn back to him. He doesn't want to send people to hell. He wants to save people from hell. And I pray that one day you'll look back on this day or this time in your life and you'll see, wow, that was God's sovereign will. That I should come. Maybe you're here at church today and this was your decision to be here. Based on your free will. And that's something God gives us. He gives us choice. We have free will. And, and maybe you're here because you're like, this is my free will. I choose to be here. But looking back, I pray that you will see God's sovereign will. That, that, that your whole life he's been chasing you down with his love and his passion for you. But we have to start there. Because how can we say we want to know God's will if we don't yet know God? And so first we have to desire God in order to know God's desires. Okay, so that's the first D. He wants us to be delivered from, from sin. But the Bible also says E. He wants us to be ever thankful. He wants us to be ever thankful, always thankful at all times. How do we know that? The Bible is very clear about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18 and 19 tells us, Rejoice when? Always. Rejoice when? Always. 
Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will. Circle that word will. This is the will, thelema, of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there it is, right there. This is God's will for you, his desire. And what this isn't saying is that every circumstance is going to be awesome all the time. No, that's not true, because some circumstances are terrible and tragic. But it does say, give thanks all the time. How is that possible? Well, I love that the Bible tells us that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been delivered from sin. He's working for the good, and as long as you can find good in, in a circumstance or situation, you're finding reason to be thankful. As terrible as the circumstance may seem, there will always be good to be found, which means there's always reason to throw your hands up and say, hallelujah anyway. Hallelujah anyway. Right? So, so we, we need to go through life asking God, where's the thanks to be given in this? I guarantee you will find it. So for me, one of the things that stresses me out most, if I get stressed out or the pressure I feel, usually comes from preparing sermons. Like, as much as I love this, it, it brings stress. And so my wife this past week was telling me, she, she was, she was kind of letting me know how she sees it. She's like, yeah, every time you have to prepare a message, like, I feel it. She was telling me that, you know, I come home, and though I'm home, I'm physically present, I'm mentally or emotionally checked out, like, because I'm constantly just trying to think about, about the message. And if you look at my nails, the weeks I have to preach, they're, like, non-existent. Right, because it's like, what do I talk about? Like, what am I going to say? Like, who, who, am I going to say the right thing? And, and is it going to be relevant? And, and I feel this pressure on me. And here's how I'm learning to deal with that stress. I've started taking these things that I, I shared this with our Tuesday night prayer meeting. But I started to take these things called gratitude walks. And what I will do, I'll be in my office. I'll be working. And I'll be like, I just need to walk away. And so I'll get up and I'll just take this long walk around this whole plaza. Along the whole parking lot, down 190th, takes me about 10 minutes. But during these gratitude walks, I have one rule. One rule. Give thanks. No asking for anything, no venting, no complaining. Just, God, I just, I'm going to give thanks to you right now. And, and I, I guarantee you, try this. Try these gratitude walks. As you're walking, you're thinking of all the things to give thanks for. You'll find there's no shortage like, there are so many things that I have failed to even acknowledge and give thanks for. And so I'm walking, and all of a sudden, it's like, God, thank you so much that I have gas in my tank today. God, thank you so much that I have a gas tank, that I have a car to drive. Thank you that I get to live in the South Bay. God, thank you for the weather in the South Bay. It's amazing. God, thank you that I live so close to the beach. God, thank you that I get to surf. Thank you that I have the physical ability to exercise. Thank you for my wife. Monica, thank you for Evan. Thank you for Karis. And God, even I thank you for Aranea, even though that was hidden to me, right? And so, like, like, there's these things that you realize, man, I never stop to say thanks. God, thank you for South Bay Community Church. Thanks that I get to preach at South Bay Community Church. And all of a sudden, what I find is that my anxiety level just drops. Why? Because no longer am I sitting there being consumed by a hundred different thoughts running at me at a hundred miles per hour. But now I'm focused and consumed on the goodness of God. That God is actually for me and not against me. That his favor is upon me. And so when I'm off of this and onto him, I see my stress and the pressure just get relieved. 
And I'm starting to realize that when the Bible says to give thanks in all circumstances, that it's not just God wanting us to see how awesome he is, which he is, and we'll see that. But I'm also realizing that in it is his interest for us, his will and his desire for us. No wonder Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7 says what? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, that actually makes a lot of practical sense. That somehow God knows that thankfulness helps us deal with anxiousness. So his will is that we are delivered from sin, we are ever thankful, and then S, his will is that we are set apart. That we are set apart. So where do we get this? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, makes it very clear. For this is the will of God. Circle that word will. That's thelema. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's explicit. No pun intended. That's explicit. That we should avoid sexual immorality. This is his will for you. Now, to be sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be holy. So if this right here is sin in my life, to be set apart means I'm going to be over here. I'm going to separate myself from sin. And he gets very specific, sexual sin. And so I'm not going to talk about it a lot right now because next week I'm going to do an entire message on what the Bible says about sex and sexuality, including homosexuality which I know a lot of people are thinking about these days, and so I'm going to address what the Bible says. Um, I know a lot of people have asked that question commonly, do gay people go to heaven? Or do gay people go to hell? And what are we supposed to believe? And so hopefully you'll come back and let's look at the word together on that. But I will say this for the sake of today's message. I want you to ask yourself, am I currently living in any sexual sin? There might be some of you right now and you're thinking, okay, this person that I'm with right now, I, I think it's God's will for us to get married or I, I think it's God's will for us to be together and I'm not sure I need to seek the Lord. I, I would stop you and slow you down and say, well, let me ask you this. Are you guys committing sexual sin? Because if you are, I'll tell you right now, you are not in the will of God. You're not living in the will of God. Or maybe you're thinking, okay, should I go on this mission trip or that mission trip? Should I go uh, into seminary and pursue ministry? Or should I lead this, this small group and shepherd these people? I'll say, okay, hold on. Before you try to figure out God's will for the coming future, let me ask you right now. Are you engaged in ongoing addictions to pornography? Are you messing around with someone who's not your spouse? Because if you are, I would say you are not living in the will of God. And here's my point. We can try to figure out what God's will for us is in the future, but all that is vanity right now if you're not willing to live in God's revealed will here in the present. And so let's be focused on what has God already said. What do we know clearly? And am I living in it? Am I living in the will of God? Because his will is that we avoid sexual sin, that we live set apart. Okay? So God wants us to be delivered from, from sin ever thankful, set apart, and then I, he wants us to be influenced by the Spirit. He wants us to be influenced by the Spirit. 
How do we know that? Well, it's quite clear in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Circle that word will. That's thelema. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Bible says right here, this is the will of God for you to be filled with the Spirit, it's not just talking about being indwelled by the Spirit. It's talking about being influenced by the Spirit. How many of you guys know there's a difference between being indwelled and being influenced? Because being indwelled simply means that the Spirit dwells inside of you. And that's true of every believer, anyone who follows Christ and has put your faith in Christ. You have the Spirit indwelling you. And yet the command here, the will of God is that you be filled with the Spirit. And the idea of being filled is that when something is inside of you and you're so full of it, what starts to happen? That comes out of you. In the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you act, the way you behave. That thing that you're full of controls you, it influences you. Like so for example, if my life represented by this vase right here, if I fill myself with the things of the flesh, things of sin, and I, I'm, I'm starting to be filled with pride and arrogance, what starts coming out? You can't hide that. You're proud and you're arrogant. People are going to read that like, like quickly. If you fill yourself with wine and, and, and alcohol, what's going to come out? You're drunk, right? Like it's coming out in the way you talk and the way you walk. If you fill yourself with, with anger and rage, that's what's coming out. And so the Bible says, no, don't be filled with wine, which leads to a lifestyle of debauchery. Don't be filled with the things of this world. Instead, be what? Be filled with the Spirit. And so when you invite Christ into your life, what happens in your life? Well, you got the Spirit of God immediately in you. He dwells in you. And yet you could have the Spirit in you, and yet when people look at you, they don't see the Spirit. They don't see his influence. They still see this rage and this pride and this debauchery or whatever it is that you have filled inside of you. How many of us know we can have the Spirit of God inside of us, and yet we can still grieve the Spirit? We can still quench the Spirit's fire. And here's the will of God, the desire that you would seek the Spirit, ask the Spirit to work, that he would be active in your life, that he would work in your life, that he would empower your life, that he would come and dwell and direct and influence your life. And all of a sudden what happens? The Spirit's coming out. The Spirit's overflowing in the way you act, the way you walk, the way you talk. That's what people are seeing in your life. And what's awesome about this is that we still live in the world that we live in. And there's still going to be temptations and there's still going to be uh, things that get us angry and full of rage. And there's still going to be parties. But when temptation comes and yet we're constantly being filled with the Spirit, what happens? They're going to try to penetrate us. But what happens? They're not, they're not penetrating. They stay at the surface. Because why? Because I'm filled with the Spirit. And the more we continue to ask for the Spirit's work in our life, those things will continue to be overwhelmed by the Spirit in us. So the, the will of God, the desire of God is that we are influenced, not just indwelled, but influenced by the Spirit. So be delivered from sin, ever thankful, set apart, influenced by the Spirit. And the will of God is that we respect all leadership. We respect all leadership. 
Where do we get that? First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 tells us this. Peter says, be subject to, uh, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. That's the word for every human authority. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme authority or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Circle that word will. That's the word thelema. That by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so what he's saying is that we should be submissive and respectful of all human institutions, human leadership, authorities at every level. So that means in your home. That means on the field. That means on the court. That means in your workplace. That means in the government. Wherever there is a leader above you, you have to see that God's will is that they are your leader and that you are to submit and respect authority. Now, I know that doesn't sit well with some of us right now because there's a leader in my life that I'm not very happy with. From the home to the government. And speaking of government, I want to acknowledge uh, there's this stereotype that Christians are all right-wing conservatives. Which is true of many Christians. There are a lot of right-wing conservative Christians who love Jesus with all their heart. But the reality is I know that there are also Christians who are left-wing and who are more progressive and liberal in their political views and yet love Jesus with all their heart. Right here in this church, we're all over the spectrum. And I love the fact that we can be so different in our opinions and yet we can come to the same house and seek Jesus together and grow together. I love that. But the reality is that the Christian church will be filled with differing opinions. And and no matter who is in current leadership, at any given moment in time, there will always be differing opinions of the leaders above us. And at the same time, here's what also must also always be true. Is that Christians, we submit and we respect and we honor those in authority. And I know some people hate hearing that. But listen, this is not my opinion. This is the will of God. This is what has been clearly stated to us that we show honor to those in leadership. Now, some of us are thinking, Peter, that's really easy for you to say. You probably wouldn't write the same thing if you lived in the U.S. in 2019. And I want to say, really? Do you know who he was writing under, who his leader was, as he wrote there in the first century? Have you heard of Emperor Nero? One of the most ruthless, one of the most mad, one of the most insane emperors in history. Like historians tell us that Emperor Nero would take Christians and he would throw them in the Circus Maximus and he would have them devoured and torn limb limb by limb by lions as a form of entertainment. That this was the guy who would take Christians and tie them to posts in his personal garden. At night, he would drench them with oil, light them on fire so that they would be human candlelights for his garden. This is the emperor who killed his own mom for being too influential. This is the guy who killed his wife. This is the guy who killed his half-brother. This is the guy who castrated his servant and then married him. And this is the guy that Peter writes to the Christians and urges them, honor and respect 
all authority. And what he's saying is pretty crazy, but what he's saying is, guys, this matters. This matters. Because the respect and honor that we show to our earthly leaders brings respect and honor to the name of Jesus. And when we choose to live like that, what we do is we rob people of the opportunity to point their fingers at the church and say, look at those hypocrites, those people who are supposed to be loving and respectful. And we take that away from them. Why? Because we're actually being loving and respectful. There's no hypocrisy in that if we choose to be respectful. And so submitting to earthly authorities is submitting to our heavenly Lord. And how we choose to live as citizens on earth ought to reflect that we are indeed citizens of heaven. And so will you respect those above you? Peter goes on in a couple verses, in verse 17, if it wasn't clear what he was saying and if he knew what he was writing, look what he writes. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Now check this out. Honor the emperor. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And he knew exactly how challenging and difficult it was in that time. And yet here's my resolve, for this is the will of God. It's not what I want to do. This is the desire of God. Submit to leadership. Now, how far should we take this? How far should we take this command? I'll say this. We take this command up until the point where the leadership that we are under is asking us to directly violate a command of God. And at that point, you resolve in your heart, as it's always been, we serve God and not man. When, when Peter was told by the leaders, you can no longer talk about Jesus, we have to conclude, like Peter concluded in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, he said, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So here's the principle, guys. We obey our human leaders in obedience to our God until the point where our human leaders force us to disobey our God. And in that day, we choose God. God over man. And in that day, when you choose God over man... You pay the price for it. And you be ready to endure the suffering that may come with that resolve. For that's the will of God. So this is the last E. The last E is this, that we endure suffering. We endure suffering. This is the will of God. Because Peter will go on in the next chapter. And here's what he tells us in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, for it is better if it is God's will... Circle that word will, that's his thelema, to what? To suffer. Why? For suffering's sake? Just, just, just so that we can say we're suffering? No. To suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. It's not just suffering that, that has rewards in it. It's suffering when we choose to follow God and do the will of God for doing good. And Peter, who, who urged Christians, honor the emperor, submit to your authorities, he had to pay the price for it. Because what happened to Peter? Well, he got persecuted. What happened to Peter? He got crucified on a cross, kind of like Jesus, but upside down. So as not 
to mimic Jesus because he wasn't worthy of Jesus. He got crucified upside down by who? Nero. The very emperor he lived to honor. Why? Because he honored God. And so this is the will of God to submit to leadership but be willing to endure suffering for choosing to do good. Now, the question often comes up, why, why does bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things always happen to good people? And I'll, I'll tell you at least one reason, because there's a devil who is real, the devil who hates who, what, what is good, and when he sees people committed to doing good, he's going to launch an all-out attack to, to get you to suffer and get you to fall. And so that's why sometimes bad things happen to good people, because we resolve to do good, and yet when that happens, we have to be willing to endure suffering. So there you have it. That's the desire of God. At least the Bible makes it very clear it is that that we should be delivered from evil, from sin, ever thankful, set apart, influenced by the Spirit, respect all leadership, and endure suffering. And if you are living according to these things, I will tell you right now, you are living in the will of God. You are living according to his desire. So there you have it. Now some of you guys are like, ah, what a letdown. You're supposed to tell me what my next decision is, what I'm supposed to do with this big opportunity coming up. Hold on. I'll I'll give you the answer, okay? I promised you at the beginning of this message that I would tell you your next decision in life, what what God's will for you in the next season of life is. I'm going to give it to you right now. Here's the answer. You ready? Do whatever you desire. Do whatever you desire. Seriously, I'm not joking. John MacArthur would say, look, look, if you're living according to the revealed will of God, then do whatever you want to do. Why? Because, look, if you're living according to the desires, according to the will of God, you are in the will of God. You are in the will of God. And at that point, guess who has control of your heart and your mind? God. He has taken over your heart and your mind. And I love it when we delight ourselves in the commands of God. Here's what the Bible tells us, Psalm 37 verse 4. It tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Of your heart. So when I say do whatever you desire, I'm not saying your man-made, flesh-filled desires. I'm talking about the desires that God has infused into your heart. Because when you live committed to the revealed word of God... His desires become your desires. Your heart starts to line up with his heart. Your will becomes aligned with his will. And at that moment, do whatever you desire because you are in the will of God. His hand is upon you. His favor will be upon you. There's freedom in that to walk in faith. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say one of you right now, you're trying to decide, do I I go with working at Northrop or do I go working at Boeing? Which one? And I want to say, man, if you are in the will of God, do whatever you want, whatever you desire. If you choose Northrop, you're probably not mistaken. You're still in the will of God. If you choose Boeing, you're not mistaken. For you are in the will of God. Now, here's the thing. God will bless your decisions, but sometimes we're still human. I get it. We might end up at a place, I might go here and realize, oh, man, I, this, is what, this isn't what I thought it would be. 
man, I don't know if I like this. Well, guess what? If you're still committed to the desires of God, one of the things you are is I, you are influenced by the Spirit. And the Spirit is still filling you, and he's still speaking to you, and he can still lead you, and he could lead you out to another opportunity. Whether or not this one is still there for you, there will be another opportunity. Who says you have to be stuck there? And as long as we are still in the will of God, he will still be able to work in our lives and redirect us and straighten out our paths if, if he needs to. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're in a relationship. And this person in this relationship is pressuring you constantly to, to give in to sexual sin. Constantly pressuring you. But listen, if you're committed to the desires of God, one of the things you're doing is you're being set apart. And, and if you're truly committed to this, then at some point, you no longer desire to be in this relationship where I constantly give in to sexual sin. Like, that's not a, that doesn't sit well with you because I know that this isn't God's desire for me. So I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to set myself apart. There's so much freedom to do what we desire because God is working in our desires. And now some of you are thinking, well, it's not that easy, Greg. Like some decisions are a lot more complex than that. Some decisions, if I'm wrong, I can't walk out of that. Like what if I'm marrying the wrong person? Can't just divorce a person, right? Well, let me say this about that. Some of you guys have recently seen my social media posts. Um, Monica and I, we just celebrated 10-year anniversary, but in that post, I just talked about how there have been many seasons in our marriage where it is very difficult. And there were times in our marriage where both of us would conclude, man, I married the wrong person. I, I married the wrong person. And we made a big mistake. But listen... As both Monica and I try to live in the will of God, and we've always tried to stay in the will of God, if we're ever thankful, finding reason to be thankful in every circumstance, if we're willing to endure suffering when things get hard, if I'm letting the Spirit influence me, you know what we've concluded after 10 years? We are in the perfect place. And the person that I thought was the wrong person God's revealing to me, no, this is the right person. Monica will tell you she married the perfect person, right? But, but why? Because we're realizing that God is using each other to sanctify us, to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. We are exactly where we need to be. God is doing something deep and meaningful in each of our lives. There's no place we would rather be, and we have concluded, thank God, hallelujah. And sometimes hallelujah anyway. We are right here in the will of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Let us not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, circle that word will, the thelema of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God has a good and acceptable and perfect. Let me illustrate what this verse is saying. There's this pastor and theologian, his name was uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. I've benefited greatly from his, his commentaries and a lot of his works. Um, I've used them in messages. But there came a time in his life when he found out he had terminal cancer. And this wrecked a lot of people all over the world. People were pouring in letters, making phone calls, telling them, Dr. Boyce, we are praying for you that God reverses this, that God takes this away. And yet... 
he did not conform to the world, but, but, but by his commitment to the word of God, he was being renewed. His mind was being renewed. And he was seeing that God's will is good. It is perfect. It is acceptable. And here's what I love. He wasn't just a scholar of God's word. He wasn't just a preacher of God's word, but he was wholly committed to the revealed word of God. And as it renewed his mind, here's what he said. His last message, his last sermon that he gave to the people. And he knew he was speaking to a lot of people who are so upset at what was happening to Dr. Boyce because of this cancer. But here's what he said to them. I'll read it for you. He says, if God were to do something in your life, would you change it? If you would, you'd make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. Isn't that good? If, if God were to do something in your life by his sovereign will, would you change it? I wouldn't. I don't want to touch it. I'd mess that up. And his result was God is that perfect that even in cancer, I am right where I ought to be. He is that perfect. And so, church, I pray that you and I would be so unswervingly committed to the revealed words of God. And as we are committed to the revealed words of God, and as we make decisions based on the revealed word of God, that no matter how God's sovereign will unfolds in our life, we would say, hallelujah, I am exactly where I am supposed to be. I am in the perfect will of God. Amen? Now, would you guys bow your heads with me? And so, God, that is exactly where we want to be right now. Living according to your desires and your will. And, Lord, we, we know that we can get so caught up in trying to figure out what our life looks like. And, Lord, we, we just want to surrender that to you. We know that our, life, our lives are in your hands. And so help us, Lord, just to be committed to, to the things you have made known to us that we would be passionate students of your word, that we would keep looking into the things you've revealed to us, leaning on your spirit to help us to live these things out. And I pray that as we do, we would see your sovereign will unfold and we will see that it is good, it's perfect, and it's desirable. So Lord, may your desires become our desires. May your will become our will. Lord, we ask that you give us your heart, Lord. And may we see the blessing and the favor that comes when we are committed to you. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name.